Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Okay, everybody, we got some heavy lifting to do here today. Uh, Jim sent me an article. And I think the best way of to set this up, uh, with your permission, Jim, I'd like to, instead of read the article, good heavens, but we'll cite it, we'll put it in the notes. Uh, sort of go through the assumptions that the article implies and the main points that it offers. And then let's bounce around on that because I know we got to get that stuff out of the way before we can offer people the conclusions that you have in mind. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's, especially the first part. I'm really interested how you're going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me too. So the article is called the crucifixion of Donald Trump and it's a July 5th article from compact written by Lee Siegel. We'll link it in. And it's not a long article, y'all, but it was tough. Nope. I had to read it several times, you know, to, to get into it. So uh, Mr. Siegel makes some assumptions. And I've got my notes here. First of all, he assumes that MAGA, make America great again, loves Trump because Trump reminds MAGA of itself, imperfect. Fair enough? I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm tracking. tracking so far. Okay, number mm -hmm. two. Uh, and this is a really interesting one. In our age, that is our current era, understanding implies that you're complicit in something. So the, the effort to understand something sort of impugns you as being complicit in it. He calls it, I'll quote, this is a good quote, the labor of intellect and imagination is being replaced by ruthless spasms of moral condemnation. That's just a sample of his language because it's pretty dense, but it's it's pretty right on too. Yeah, the only thing I would quibble with is the age thing. It, I don't think this is a new phenomenon. I do think it's a it's it's the the particular place it's happening right now and the way it's happening is new. Like, but you know you know how they say history rhymes. Yes. Yes. Right. Going on. So the, so circumstances are specific and you new and unique and different, but. It, it, there's, there's something happening. There's a pattern that keeps happening and occurring. I'm sorry. I, I agree on. with you about that. You're, yeah. you're summing up the article. I just, that, that's the only quibble I have with that. Other, no, uh, otherwise good. brilliant. I I'm with this because the, the third point, the assumption, the third assumption I wanted to offer is uh, Mr. Siegel's assumption. And this is a quote too, is that the goal of civilization, ageless civilization, all of us doing this for millennia, the goal of civilization is a transcendent principle that will regulate people without coercion or friction. From Siegel's keyboard to God's ears, I hope. I, 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 I so I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that's, let's, you know, talk about the zero aggression principle. And we have a zero aggression project, zeroaggressionproject.org, which sponsors the show. And that work that I did specifically led me into work on a philosophy called the philosophy of human respect. Yeah, which yeah. is based on a principle and that principle is, and I mean that in the natural sense, as in like scientific law, that every time someone use initiates violence or theft 
or fraud or vandalism against another person causes them harm to their personal property, the, their happiness, harmony, and prosperity will go down. Always. It's consistent. It's like gravity. You can predict it. And if you know that, and we do know that, we know that in our day-to-day -day lives. Once you know that applies consistently across the board, you start to recognize the state is a perpetrator that routinely violates this and pretends that somehow or other it can suspend this law of reality, this social law of reality. So that's called the philosophy of human respect. And I, I'm, I'm employed part-time. That's one of the things I'm out there doing is trying to advance that. So I, I, when he says the goal of civilization is a transcendent principle that will regulate people without coercion and friction, I'm not kidding when I say from his keyboard to God's ears. I'm with you on that. And I would like to say that that is, that is essentially the big picture here. I, I'm not sure if anyone listening or if you will agree with me on that, but if we had to say in our minuscule little bubbles of what we think every day that there was an overarching goal to civilization, I'd have to agree with him, you know, that it is finding this transcendent principle and, and we're creeping up on it, you know, very slowly, but every so often I think we make some progress, right? Yeah. So almost every faith tradition, several philosophies that I can think of have something akin to the golden rule. So we can do this professionally. We can talk about doctors. What is the doctor rule? First, do no harm, right? That's number one. Uh, what is the, what is Jesus's golden rule? He says, uh, do unto others, you would have them do unto you. Uh, Immanuel Kant has uh, his own, and I can't think of what the, what the name of the term is, but he basically, you, you would not do something, and I'm going to be very artful about this because I'm not up on my Kant, but if you, uh, you would never do anything. <laughs> I know, man, I can't keep a poker face on that one. You would never do anything that, uh, would be immoral that would harm anybody under any right. circumstances, right? Yeah. And so there's there's variations of this all over the place. We know, I mean, we kind of already know, and we do it all the time anyway. And and so, yeah. I but I I, I really I sincerely hope that that's what we're trying to do here. And I don't know that enough people are aware of it yet. I'd like, you know, to to borrow a term, a phrase, consciousness, right? To elevate the consciousness on people understanding that this is so fundamental that the every attempt we do to make exceptions to it, where we get clever, we do so at the expense of our humanity. We do so at the expense of progress. I'd like to say that elevating consciousness could be, could be objectified concretely in things like being kind to each other, offering that lemonade we keep talking about, sitting down yeah. with somebody, listening to them, not stealing. <laughs> you know, there's a whole list of, of commandments, right? You know, uh, it seems, you know, that's the point though, right? It's so, right. okay. It's, it's I'm so sorry. So obvious. you're still, okay. I think I've interrupted your introduction. I think we're still no, no, kind no. of introducing the article here, right? You've brought us right to the place. So what I want to hit next are the main points. And the biggest point about this short article is that Donald Trump is incapable of doing anything to help the transcendent principle that will regulate people without coercion or friction. He just is incapable of doing anything that will help that process. I, I'm, all, I'm, I'm, even though I knew what I, I had some sense of what I wanted to say when I got here, this is one of these moments. It's, you know, I get on here too, and I get surprised by some of the things that come out. Okay. 
we just spent a whole bunch of time talking about the goal of civilization being a transcendent principle that will regulate people without coercion or friction. And then we got into a discussion of all the variations of, you know, the golden rule and human respect, right? We started talking about that. So if Trump is incapable of doing anything on that front, think of it this way. If you have a pain or a wound, this is a could be a physical sign of something more serious underneath. Okay. So Trump is not going to, you're 100% right, make us all better at the golden rule. We've seen the evidence. He doesn't practice it. And I can prove that. That's that's like so easy to prove. Yeah. His Twitter account all alone, that's you know part of his rise to fame. His social media behavior all by itself proves it. Okay, so he's not capable of actually elevating that. But he is capable of being the sore on the top of the surface that indicates that there is a problem underneath, right? Yeah. And I don't mean this in an insulting way. There's a very specific way that he's gone about doing what he's done. He's responding to a very specific set of things that have preceded him, that made him possible. And he's wanted and desired, which is, was covered in this article. Uh, he's wanted and desired in certain quarters because he has these traits. But it's the same way that you would rub the wound. You would press on it to see if it still hurts. You would see if it's worse today. You'd look at it and observe and see if it's worse today. But you can't take your eyes off it or you can't take your hand off it. Or if it's a sore in your mouth, you can't stop your tongue from going and finding it. So he can't make things better because he's contributing to the problem somehow. But there's something soothing about it. Knowing that it's kind of still there, you keep returning to it. He's he he provides some type of temporary relief to it, never solving the problem, but always providing some. And and the and the article is largely covering who got the temporary, who gets the temporary, who relief gets the temporary this. relief. Sure, yep. right. It's everybody who that's. It's like MAGA feels better by knowing that they have the ears essentially and the attention. Yep. yep. Even though that attention is not making things better. I think that Siegel makes this point. It's like they they they're crucifying Trump Trump all the time. But I think you have a bigger point on this. So, and and this might be the the point of departure here to take, and that's that people forgive others who remind them of themselves. Um. Yeah. I, but I want to back up a second, did because uh, I remember you talking to me about this beforehand. There's a point that if Trump. If the establishment ever let up on Trump, he would be totally discredited. I'm not sure I read enough books to make the following claim uh, credibly, but I'm, I, I have some degree of confidence about this anyway. Maybe it's Dunning-Kruger or whatever. I don't know. But one of the most important books written in the 20th, 21st century so far is by Nassim Taleb. It's called Anti-Fragile. Previous to him writing this, most people most of the time thought of, of, of items having two qualities. So assume for a moment I have a glass in my hand, okay? And I let go of the glass and it hits the floor. If the glass breaks, it is by definition fragile. It had a fragile moment, it broke, it shattered, okay? Second, if I let go of the glass and I drop and it doesn't break, then it was robust. It was able to handle it. The glass is structurally the same thing it was before. But in a variety of areas of our life, there is a third category that exists. 
And for this, I'd like to switch the metaphor to your muscles. If you exercise your muscles, which essentially causes microfiber tears, if you exercise them, you put them through stress, in other words, you drop the glass, they can come back stronger. What if the glass in the metaphor had the ability as a result of bouncing it to be stronger? So in other words, it's anti-fragile. It needs the stress test in order to actually become what it truly needs to become. So there's a third category that we call anti-fragile. I love where you're going with this. Yes. I have been a observer of politics from my entire, this goes back. I'm a keen observer since my ninth grade year in high school. It's when I started to realize I was going to go into to some political related field. I have worked in campaigns and elections. I've been in two political parties. I've been the inside of various campaigns. I've been paid professionally to do this. I'm also, because of my interest, historically aware of how elections were conducted in this country and how other people handle politics in other countries on a level that is, I would say, decently high. In American political history, in recent American political history in particular, since the era of television, there had never, ever, ever, ever been a candidate like Donald Trump. He was anti-fragile. Donald Trump gained his strength by being dropped. Like, in fact, if he woke up in the morning and nobody was attacking him, he set to work on Twitter every day to put out a series of tweets that would get somebody attacking him. He is the only successful definition I'm aware of that all press is good press because most of his press was bad. And by the way, this was no accident. This is an anecdote. I am giving it to you third hand. I was not physically present when it was told. And the person who shared it to me with me was not physically present when it was told. He heard it from somebody who was standing there. Claims that this is the gospel truth. That Donald Trump Jr. was told by somebody at a gathering, I won't say the organization's name, but a group of college students is surrounding him. He had just spoken and he's out drinking with the kids. And one and some of them, one of them said, I really wish he would stop tweeting so much. His tweets really annoy my mom. I can't quite win my mom over. And he said, you know, my dad wakes up every morning and with six or eight small messages, controls the media cycle for the entire day, right? And it doesn't cost him a thing to do it except the time it took him to write those tweets. Why in the world would he give up that power? If you're paying close attention to what I just said, whether it's true or not, like, I don't know if that story happened 100% or not. I wasn't there to observe it. I don't know if it was said that artfully, but it's but it it has the air of truth because it explains this anti-fragile phenomena. And it explains the fact that he is a savant in one way, and that is that he knew how to stir up controversy. This is one of the most famous men in the world, not just the country, the world. His name was well-known everywhere, okay? And he's in movies, he's in television shows, he's a character. He's got a be- he's got best-selling books that he didn't write, okay? And they're all about building a persona that he created. So this dude knows media. I don't know what else he knows, but the one thing I know that he knows is media. So put aside the anti-fragile thing for just a moment. He stuns the world and he gets elected in 2016. Nobody saw that coming. 
Not, I mean, right up until election day, nobody saw it coming. It came as a shock on election night. I know. I remember I was sitting there watching it. Nobody could believe it happened. He was supposed to lose. The pollsters all had him losing. And afterwards, they all had to scramble to figure out, well, how how this happened? And Hillary's people were devastated. They're crying on television. Holy cow, they can't believe what they just witnessed. How did it possibly happen? Rachel Maddow said we didn't do enough. Nope, nope, nope. He was anti-fragile. You made him. You made him. So I want to just elaborate on this point for a second because I was, I said to my son, I said something that turned out to be entirely wrong. I said, well, you know, a few months of him running this game and the Democrats are going to figure out what he's doing and they're going to change. They're going to finally adapt to the play. I, I, in fact, I used a football metaphor with my son. I said, suggested that if you ran off tackle, right, this is the type of, we're about to start foot, NFL football. And so, you know, you're running, uh, let's say you're going to go run to the left and you're going to, the guard is going to swing out and pull the offensive lineman is going to pull. And you're going to run that play. And every time you run it, you're gaining eight, nine yards. You're going to keep running that play all day because it's a low risk play and it's working. So the defense is going to adjust to that, right? And I fully, 100% gospel thought they're going to see what he's doing. It's like film study. And they're going to go, well, we're going to adjust the play. They didn't do adjust the play. So now you got to start to wonder, why didn't they adjust the play? What was the incentive structure that made them play along? Well, it turned out the incentive structure, and I don't know how I didn't see this before this, but the incentive structure was he was darn good for their fundraising. He was darn good for get out the vote. They got more of their people out because they were angry and, and passionate about doing something about him. He was a lightning rod. Not only was he anti-fragile, he, he made the Democratic Party more anti-fragile. So they kept attacking him. Oh, and let's not overlook the media. The Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness. Twitter, who was on the verge of dying in 2015 before he came down that escalator in Trump Tower. This CNN, all of these networks got in, every, every one of these media channels all got in on the, uh, on the event. And the media, they had, they got ratings out of the deal. They were... <laughs> They were in on the game. Donald Trump was good for their ratings. So anybody else that was in that race and anybody that's in the race in 2024, they're starved for media attention because he sucks all the oxygen out of the room. And so all these media people that are bellyaching about him and can't stand him, he actually helps them survive. The Washington Post moved to be democracy dies in dark darkness. They, they, they've lost a lot of money. They are very unprofitable uh, as compared to the New York Times, which went and diversified and got into other media areas. Um, Twitter uh, survived because of him. And then they banned him and started going down. The company started into decline, may still be in decline. It's hard to tell with what Elon's doing right now. CNN's ratings compared to what it, they were in the teens and the number of people watching their programming has just cratered. So this was a guy that was saving old business models. He was keeping people afloat in the media business because they were eating up this anti-fragile stuff. They, they wanted him to create controversy. This had never happened before. Every other candidate would run in the race. The media could build them up and they could tear them down. And they, he built, they built them up, but they couldn't tear them down. 
and they could only tear him down marginally enough that they, they could eke out a, a an election victory uh, over him in 2020. And they did eke it out. It was still a very close race. So this is this is what Siegel is saying by the establishment, propping him up, not really propping him up, but by the establishment doing what it does, politics, the media. That just fuels Trump. OK, and he's actually dealing with one specific part of this. It's incredibly important. So yes. this is my theory that I'm bringing in on the outside and overlaying on top of it. He's dealing with the one area that's still not touched in what we said. We talked about the media's role. We talked about the Democratic Party's opposition role. And we talked about how Trump fueled all of those things. But the people that are left out and forgotten here are literally the forgotten people. And that is the MAGA crowd itself, the people that root for him. Right. And, and, and MAGA that's what is Siegel's like the, doing here. When you're dropping that glass, MAGA's the floor on which it hits. Yes. Yes. And it hasn't been feeling very good recently because that glass dropping on us, even though it bounces, is getting harder and harder to take. Yes. I'm just going to read the whole paragraph if you don't mind. January 6th yeah. came and its violent desecrations and also a revelation of hidden American lives, piles of traffic and parking tickets and misdemeanor convictions and foreclosure notices and eviction notices and court appearances and tax liens and collection agents and lousy jobs and fractured marriages and catastrophic divorces and child custody payments and wounded children, bad diet and unhealthy habits and premature grave illness and chronic pain and all the travails of the working class and lower middle class that the liberal politicians smile their way past. And on account of which Barack Obama said that people cling to their guns or religion or antipathy. There is a $10 word for you, Siegel writes, toward people who aren't like them. These were people who had stumbled. These were people that the establishment looked down on. And they said, we are who we are. There's this phenomena that takes place, and it took place in this situation, where someone embraces the negative stereotype that is about them, and they turn around and wear it as a badge of honor. And Hillary Clinton called these people that had that clung to their guns and their religion and or had antipathy a basket of deplorables. Yes, and he wasn't ashamed to be with the basket of deplorables. He wasn't. Uh, he was more than willing to hang out with them, and he was willing to be deplorable too. And it's like, well, if we're identified with him, well, brother, here we go. We're deplorables. And they start but wearing nothing. it as a badge of honor. But what's changed? Uh, over time, the height of, and, and extent and the tenacity of the attacks on him have kept going up and up and up and up and up. There's always been an upping of the ante. So if anything, there's a degree to which he's become more anti-fragile. Now, this doesn't work flawlessly. There will be people watching this that will criticize me and say, well, look how bad the Republicans did in 2018, 20, and 22. And, they, and that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But I will tell you, the people that support Donald Trump don't care. Oh, yeah. It's and, like and, a MAGA jihad. It's 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 and the media that's covering him don't care. They don't care. They're invested. And Nancy Pelosi and all the Democrats, Joe Biden, who are profiting off of the enhanced turnout and the fundraising they get, don't care. So, Jim, 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 what you're saying is that, you know, most of the powerful and most of the voting public don't care. I'm saying that they're not interested in, when I say don't care, they're not interested in getting off this train. Okay. So like if we're sitting here, we're putting together, we have a, I, we have a unique audience that we're attempting to talk to here. We want grace to be there. 
And I'm at pains now to say, because some people think that grace just means we all sit down and talk together. And we've talked about having the glass of lemonade, but I want that to lead to something where we're not, we're not using force against one another anymore. Yes, please. Right. Okay. It's just, it's just simply, if you can, uh, someone said, well, yeah, you know, this sounds like it's a bipartisan movement. No, 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 no. Uh, George Carlin was right about bipartisan movements. It means a larger than usual conspiracy to screw you is happening right now. Okay. So I, I don't want to uh, empower further coercion. I don't want to put a smiling face on totalitarianism and brutality. I, what I want instead is for people to a begin to appreciate the humanity of another and B after having appreciated it, say, you know what, I've decided I'm not going to coerce. I'm going to let you live your life and pursue your happiness. And I'm going to let you figure some things out because I think what you're doing is a mistake right now. You might get yourself hurt, but maybe you need to learn that lesson for yourself. When this happens in the state on the world stage and it hurts other people along the way, how graceful can we be to let Donald Trump figure this out on his own? Well, Donald Trump is a phenomena. Donald Trump, uh, for a moment, for a moment, I'm going to go against type and say, can we subtract his humanity out for a second? He's a phenomena. Okay, I'm with you on that. Sure. He's a phenomena. Because I, I believe all the way down to the seat I'm sitting on right now, that if it weren't him, it would have been somebody else. The yeah, moment was coming. The meteor was along. on its way. Yep. The, 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 what they call the neoliberal establishment, right? Has, yeah. has been, has needed a comeuppance for an incredibly long time. And if anything, they were more shrieking and hysterical and wrong during the pandemic than ever. And what we haven't, it's not just them. It's all the big, it's all the big people that have been profiting. It's big religion. It's big media. It's big government. It's big science. All these things that we believed in have turned out to be flawed idols. Shouldn't have put our faith in them in the first place. We don't do relationship. We're not following the example. We're not modeling ourselves after the savior. And and, and in failing to do these things and trying to find a ground of faith, in worship of these establishments, it was inevitable we were going to end up at this point. But what's happening right now is we're going through that moment where we're looking back and reflecting on the decisions we've made in the previous generations. And we're saying, we don't want to continue down this path. Nobody's clear on what to do next. I'm hoping with our show, we're able to talk about what's next. So anybody that's going to stick with Trump, or you're going to actually believe you have to pick a side in this dispute, you're going to have to jump into the conflict machine too. And yeah, it's going to grade up your family and your friendships and it's going to cause stress and it's going to, it's probably even going to make you poor. They're wrong. You got to step out of it. You got to withdraw from it. And this is the audience that we're looking to talk to is the people that say, I'd like to actually get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is that we're using force against one another. And we're not understanding one another. I'm going to go we back have to your, bring grace. Your, your glass metaphor again. I feel like I'm in the glass with everybody else and it's on the way down. It's on the way down. But he, he actually spoke for a group of people who felt disaffected, felt like they weren't being heard. In fact, it was worse than being heard. They felt like they were being talked down to. They felt like they were being told they were the problem themselves for whatever political points or whatever that was supposed to score. And, and, and in the midst of all of this, by the way, there's a big political realignment. You know, growing up, growing up, again, keen political observer. The Democrat Party was the party little guy, and the Republicans were for the big corporations. You remember this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It ain't true now. Donald oh, Trump represents far more of these little guys than the Democrats do. And the Democrats 
if you did a per capita study here, they got a lot of really wealthy big donors in academia and Hollywood and business. I mean, it's all over the place. So there's a realignment occurring right now. There's some changes happening. But this conflict machine, this constant culture war that we're ever going, we're going through has to do with the fact that these people see him as identified with them. He's deplorable. I'm deplorable. And he's never given up on me. He's continued to stay deplorable. The specific language that uh, that he used in the article, the establishment never let up on Trump. He would be totally discredited on the eyes of his followers. That's what I'm yep. trying to tell you. If yep. they ever, ever, ever stopped attacking him, the worst thing you could do. Could you imagine a world? You've heard the phrase. You've heard the phrase. If a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? The answer is no. We won't go into why today. If you can't follow this, Google it. Um, but it doesn't make a sound. Sound is a receiver thing. Now, I want you to imagine Donald Trump tweeting in the forest and no one there to acknowledge him. I'll tell you what he would do first. He would up his strategy. He would say more extreme things. He would say more things. That's the first thing he would do. And then imagine everybody pays no attention. And then he would up it again. And again, no one would pay attention. And, I, and here's who I really want to stop paying attention. I want his political opponents to stop paying attention. I want the Washington Post and CNN and all the rest of the media to stop paying attention. Because if they did, his followers would go, eh, his work here is done. But they haven't. Well, they can't. They haven't. It, that's how they pay their bills. Exactly. Exactly. So let's take this. You, you, you came up with two analogies. Let's take the other one about stretching the muscle and how that tears it. And then the, the regrowth of that muscle makes it stronger. I think that's an appropriate analogy right now because the fabric of America is being stretched. The fabric of democracy is being stretched in ways that it needs to be to grow stronger. Would you agree? Uh, we're having to go through this transition. There's, there's no two ways about it. What's we've been doing up to this point has not worked. You know, we don't have time to get into it today. I shouldn't even say this out loud. I, I know better, but I'm going to do it anyway. We have learned some things here at, in Grace Archie Labs. Uh, Grace Archie Labs right behind me. You can't see it. It's behind this glass. We've learned some things uh, about inflation, about how our economy is structured, uh, that, that it's, it's not sustainable. This debt situation, which is, should be obvious to everybody, it's not sustainable. And we have to begin having a very human plan that is not politically dependent or at least is relatively independent of politics uh, to rescue as many people from what's about to come as possible. Because what's about to come is inevitable. And Donald Trump isn't the solution. And Joe Biden isn't the solution. And nor are any of the other candidates that are running in either one of those parties right now the solution. Oh, there might be this or that where there's a tiny glimmer of hope that they might do something not quite as bad as has been done in the past. They might actually slow the road to hell a tiny bit in an area or two here or there. But by and large, none of them got the answers. All of them are going to contribute to making the problem significantly worse and their followers will be worse still. And it's time to get off that train. It's time to stop because there's no grace to be found there. The grace is found in the conversations that we're having with one another. The very human conversations where we come 
back to the humanity that we can recognize in one another. Not as a yeah. tribe, but as individuals. I want to say one more thing, by the way, about the Washington Post and and even the, the his political opponents. I know that you you have some expertise in this, and we've been influenced by one writer's uh, book in particular, that shame as a method of treating addiction doesn't work. Yes. We had a chance to discuss this with Dave Brisbane in the first episode of the recent Brisbane series. We just did too, right? Shame doesn't work. It's a failed strategy. It keeps being tried. And this is the, the point that Siegel is largely uh, uh, honing in on, that the attempt to shame these people has backfired. Yes. It won't work. It increases their identification with him as a fallen person. And in fact, the more you crucify him, the more Christ-like he becomes to them. Yeah, it's crazy irony. So shame isn't going to work. So he has this great line. He said, waxing prettily or ingeniously about all the reasons he, referring to Trump, doesn't deserve their devotion or about why they themselves deserve his lies and deceitfulness gets us nowhere. He's 100% right. You're not, th th everything that you're trying to do. And so I actually watch Republicans and Democrats, and I've even seen libertarians start to pick sides in this thing. And they and they believe that the game that they need to run is to insult the other intelligence of the other side or insult the character of the other side. They believe that you need to identify with them. There's this phrase floating around called anti-racism. When you say, well, everybody should be anti-racist, right? But anti-racism doesn't mean you're opposed to racism. You could be for equality. That's not good enough. The phrase anti-racism means that when racism seems to appear in front of you, you see some manifestation of it, you have made a commitment that you will speak up and out loudly against it. And you will do so at the expense of relationship, financial gain, whatever else, because you are an anti-racist. You are dedicated to its eradication at, at, at relational cost. Now, there is an anti-Trump. There is an anti-MAGA. Right. And if you're anti-MAGA, you're literally anti a group of people who are just trying to get along. They're just trying to give live their lives. They're busy, you know, driving a truck and listening to country music or whatever it is that they're doing, right? Supporting their family, paying their bills, taking the kid to Little League. And 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 in some cases, uh, honestly, I don't think they're perfect on this. They're very bad on immigration, for example. But there's a degree to which they just want to be left alone. And you're walking around saying they're bad people. You think you're somehow going to shame them. And then the people around them aren't allowed to be friends with them because how could someone be so reprehensible as to vote for Donald Trump? I don't know. Have you had a conversation with them? Have you asked them a serious question? And I see this, and this is exactly what he's talking about and that you referenced at the very top of the show. Understanding means complicity. And so, quote, a labor of intellect and imagination is being replaced by ruthless spasms of moral condemnation. This is not grace. That's this not grace. That's not, not us finding each other. That's not us understanding each other. And I happen to believe that no matter, no matter what, the only hope we have is not to be anti-human beings. It's to try to find ways to understand where they're coming from and to start, step one, hearing them. If, if that step doesn't happen, if we replace that with shame and condemnation, it's going to backfire. You might feel morally indignant. You might feel like you really drove the point home, but it's going to backfire. So how do we make practical grace 
operate here. For everyone who's stuck with us this long and is curious. Uh, the way we make practical grace, is it, 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 it's, it's almost always the same thing that we say most of the time that we're here. So we talk about the glass of lemonade. I'm talking to you about the idea, uh, but I want to make sure I extend it to its full dimension here. The idea that we have to sit down and have lemonade with one another. And that means grace. So we say here, we like to say here that tolerance is good. Forgiveness is better. But grace is that unmerited favor. It's not deserved. Somebody has done something you can't understand. It doesn't make sense to you. It feels wrong. And instead of rushing to shame or condemnation, instead of running away, you go towards them and say, hey, you're a human being. What's your deal? Explain it to me. Help me understand why you come at this the way you come at it. I want to know. And then I want to add, because we've talked about all that, that point a lot, it's not just a conversation. It doesn't stop there. I have made a personal commitment in my life that I'm not going to vote for politicians who are going to use their power to impose force by force my values or any related or adjacent values on others that I don't like. Not going to do it. I believe in self-defense steadfastly. I've talked about that. We talked about that episode one in, uh, on this show. I, I'm saying that it is wrong to initiate force against other people and the results will always be that happiness, harmony, and prosperity will go down. So step one, have the conversation that says, I'm going to see you as a human being when I disagree with you and I want to know what makes you tick. And step two, don't resort to force to get your way. And when those two things happen, we will change the world. But it starts in one-on-one -on -one relationships. If you're looking for the easy solution, you ain't going to find it here. But guess what, folks? They've been offering you the easy solution all your life and you never got it there either. It's certainly the case that it's not Donald Trump or Joe Biden that'll give it to you. It's certainly the case that the Republican candidates and any Democratic candidates opposing Biden will give it to you. All they're going to do is give you more of the same. And so the break from this is to step away from all of that pretty completely and go a radically new direction where we're not into these. We're not, there's no cult or worship for any of these. There's no solution where we got a quick fix and we can just eradicate our enemies because we voted the right way. It won't work. I think, by the way, Bill, if I could put a cap on this, I think this is exactly the advice that Jesus Christ gave. Take up your cross and follow me. Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. That's the advice. Let's try to understand and serve those with whom we disagree in a way that we create a bond of relationship instead of attacking. And I promise you, if Donald Trump tweets in a forest and nobody's there to read the tweet, his power goes away.